Welcome to this special edition of From the Frontline. I'm Hunter Combs in the studio with Dr. Hammond and my beautiful wife, Andrea Combs. Good to have you here tonight. Well, not just beautiful, but uh, my favorite firstborn daughter. Thanks, Dad. Absolutely. And tonight we're going to be discussing um, celebrating the life and legacy of my mother-in-law, Lenora Hammond, um, and what she meant to all of us and really just discussing her life and um, the legacy she left behind. And many of you knew Lenora. Uh, you may have known her from her different activities, whether it's paddling or sewing and quilting. She always was sewing or knitting or doing some project. She never was sitting idle. <laughs> um, but more than that, we want to talk about who she was as a person and her love for Christ, her love for life, um, the wisdom she had, um, just the, the real fresh perspective you always got on life from her. Um, but ever since I became in the picture part of the family the last 11 years, I think from the time I met Andrea, uh, Lenora was battling with breast cancer. That's about when the battle began. And so we just want to take some time to discuss um, just the life of Lenora and some of that tonight. Andrea, do you want to open us? Well, I should say that um, today, 16th of November, is Lenora's birthday. It's her yeah. first birthday in heaven. She had have turned to 61 today. Born in Sussex in England, in Eastbourne. I think that's a surprise. Many people may not automatically know that. Uh, although Lenora is known as being in South Africa. She was brought up in Austria, but she was born in England to American missionary parents. So mm. that gives you a real missionary background and, and how she she grew up with German being a first language at school, and she could speak both dialect and Hochdeutsch, uh, both high German and the, the local Grossgemein dialect, uh, with the accent of, of the locals. And she learned French in school. When we went to Paris, I remember the French people saying, and she speaks French, well, that's a taste of an accent. <laughs> um, and uh, that became an ongoing joke throughout our time. And Lenora could just so easily slip between speaking English with an American accent or South African mm. accent or British accent or German with the Austrian accent. And she was French with a French accent. And when I was locked up in prison in 1989, we'd just been married six months, one very obnoxious journalist wrote, Lenora Hammond, who claims to be an American, but who speaks with a distinctly South African accent. <laughs> so that became another standing joke that uh, uh, Lenora, being a well-traveled missionary daughter, she could just uh, easily assimilate into so many different mm -hmm. cultures around the world. And it was extraordinary. I mean, I'd sometimes be with her looking at who is this person because she could just so adapt. Mm -hmm. uh, even with the people in Romania, uh, she had acquired enough Romanian to mm -hmm. adapt to them. So she is, she is so... Uh, easy in adaptability, which is extraordinary, and and she actually liked people. Mm, yeah, which <laughs> and behind every they say behind every strong leader is a strong and godly woman behind them. At least for Christian leaders, that is, um, and I think that's very true for you. And these godly women behind these godly leaders really make them who they are, and I think that's been very true of you. And as you've said, she's helped hone and shape you. Kicked you under the table sometimes oh. when you said <laughs> inappropriate I got things. <laughs> black and blue shin sometimes for, <laughs> for undiplomatic things said. And uh, Lenora was from the earliest waging war against my abrasiveness, impatience, and so on. And she said that uh, she had to continually remind me, saying, I'm not like those other frontline girls who've come through the army. And uh, <laughs> because uh, 
uh, obviously our way of tackling things were a bit different. She was far more polished and not mm. interested in this um, abrupt, abrasive way that was part of our culture. She did change. In fact, one of the first things Nora said to me when we met us, is it true that you've woken people up at the frontline camps with thunder flashes and stun grenades? <laughs> Well, sometimes, <laughs> but not on Sundays. And uh, she thought that was absolutely terrible. But on Sundays, we let them sleep in half an hour and then woke them up with guitars saying, this is the day. And uh, she thought it was just outrageous that uh, I could roll uh, explosive devices under people's bunks in the morning to wake them up. But, um, I mean, that was the old front line. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And so she has helped shape and sort of infuse wisdom into all of our lives, I think. And anyone who knew Lenora, really, I think any conversation you've had with her, she's always had some nuggets of wisdom, of truth to speak into your life. Mm -hmm. And you can hardly go away from a conversation with um, our mom or your wife, Lenora, without getting some new perspective on life, without getting some new insight and being challenged. She never was one just to pat you on the back. It was always, okay, now what else can you do? Well, you're running 20Ks. Can't you run 40Ks? <laughs> well, can't it's, you do more? <laughs> it's true. In yeah. fact, I must say that uh, having gone through military PT, uh, that was nothing compared to going to the gym with Laura. Because, you know, it would be, no, you, you, you can't just do pull-ups. you got to do it uh, rotating from side to side. Hang the sandbag from the back of your feet while you're doing it. No, you can't just do sit-ups. You need to do it with this medicine ball. This thing weighs, do you know how heavy these things are? And then, no, you can't just do a push-up like that. You know, do it one-handed and then do it knuckle and clap push-ups and clap push-ups. It's a quick way to flatten your face. Um, but she, she always had this extra, you could see she was a phys ed teacher. She really had, and with Calvin, Calvin could come back having, you know, just beat my personal best and mm. run 20Ks and so on. And Lenora would be, yes, but you can improve it and shave <laughs> off this time. But So uh, she definitely wasn't willing to accept our first attempts, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But <clears throat> let's, uh, let's discuss a bit about her life. Um, Andrea, you're here and you're her oldest daughter and she, one of her closest friends. I know she was one of your closest friends. And I think, um, yeah, it'd be good just hearing some of your perspective on your mom and uh, just the impact she had in your life. Um, yeah. And as we're talking about this, obviously we're talking about this because a week ago today, she um, lost her battle with breast cancer and she went home to be with the Lord. And although it's a loss for us and it truly is a loss, it's, it's a gain for her. As uh, Paul says in Second Corinthians 4, this um, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. So she has entered into the glory of the Father. And as we said, this is her first birthday in, in heaven, in, in paradise, uh, with re reconciled to God. So, I mean, she's rejoicing. She's now fully healed. Uh, there's no more pain, no more battle with breast cancer. She knows what it's like to truly live now. Um, and so that's why we're talking about this is because uh, she has gone to be with the Lord that uh, her battle with cancer ended a week ago. Um, but yeah, maybe Andrea, you want to just share a couple couple thoughts you have about your mom? Yes, well, I mean, who can really sum up their mom, especially one as incredible as mine? Um, I need to avoid eye contact now with everyone in the studio because um, obviously this is a highly emotional time for our family. Um, when Hunter and I were living in the States up until 2018, February 2018, we moved down here. I lived there for eight and a half years, and 
that was a wonderful time in our lives, but we knew we wanted to move back here not only to live as missionaries here in Cape Town, but to also be close to our family. We didn't know how much time the Lord uh, was going to give us with my mom, and that truly was one of the primary reasons we wanted to move back, to be close to the family, be close to mom, see her, uh, have her see her grandchild at the time, and then eventually grandchildren uh, raised uh, by God's grace, even on the same property that I was privileged to be raised on. My family's lived in the same house for 30 years now, and it's not many people can say that. So being able to spend the last three and a half years here on the property, well, not here, but where we live, and um, it's just unbelievable to watch my boys be raised on on the same property, enjoy the same garden, enjoy Easter egg hunts and Christmas mornings and Christmas Eves on the same property that I was raised on. It's incredible. And even though, even if we had another 50 years with mom, it would not be enough time. It just wouldn't. But I know that even though it feels she was taken from us too soon, it's such a promotion for her. That's something my grandpa, her dad used to say that going to heaven is a promotion and mom's been promoted we're suffering, we're sad, we're heartbroken, but she is enjoying fullness of life in a way she's never known before. Mm -hmm. And she is, I am certain, running and leaping and racing around and doing all kinds of things she's been wishing she could do for the past year or two. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, really, how, how can you sum up my yeah. mom? <laughs> well, one thing I could say is that uh, it's not quite the same house or garden you were raised in because your mother was renovating, changing, planting, developing all the time. And just looking at the pictures over the years, when we moved into the home, it, it had been student digs. And there was nothing really in the garden aside from a few trees and some yes. grass. Um, but uh, every flower, bush, plant, uh, your mom planted, she crafted, designed, shaped, and developed this garden. And, and now uh, the amount of beautiful nooks and crannies and benches and mm. the treehouse, the jungle gym, the uh, swing, uh, the trampoline, all the different things, and, and even the cottage, all these things that were built on, it's it's all been your mum's creativity. And, and the house isn't the same, not no. just the, 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 um, the paint, but, I mean, the, the loft conversion, attic conversion, the extra additions built on. Mm. So uh, your mother really has been a busy Proverbs 31 woman doing uh, from early to late all kinds of innovation. So uh, every single year you see improvements. And uh, Every time you left. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd leave <laughs> in a mission. I'd come back. Home. I'd need a guided tour as to where things are now because uh, uh, things would be turned around and uh, and always improved. And, and the other thing is just seeing how your mother's hairstyles changed constantly. And uh, uh, it's so many things changed. And uh, she was never static. And I think it's also worthwhile noting that because she traveled so far and wide, joining her dad, your grandfather's missions behind Nine Curtain, she had so many friends behind Nine Curtain. And around her dinner table, she had the privilege when she was growing up of having people like Brother Andrew of God Smuggler, George Verve of Operation, uh, a mobilization at Francis Grimm Hospital Christian Fellowship, having... Richard and Sabrina Wormbrandt of Tortured for Christ. Uh, these were guests in the home. These were friends of the family. And so she grew up surrounded by missionary legends, really. And you can just see how her creativity has really mm -hmm. been from the earliest, not only from her parents, but from the many people she's met and the church has been to. 
And so regularly, it, it didn't matter where we went or what we did. Your mother was evaluating, picking up ideas from here. And, you know, that would be better if one could just do this and that. So mind was never um, static, just like your hands were always busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember one time in Eastern Europe, uh, I was traveling with Bill Bathin, but your mom wasn't with us in that uh, time. And uh, one of the communist officials asked your grandfather, where's your daughter, the one who knits? She is never in a meeting without sitting there. She is busy knitting, crocheting, quilting, whatever, wherever she was. She, and I'm used to that for seminars, meetings, camps, courses, whatever's on the go. Uh, your mom's hands were not idle. She, she is busy. She is busy with some needlework uh, while we were busy doing other things. And of course, her mind was racing ahead. And very critical uh, feedback over meetings and ideas on how to improve things. And I don't think most people necessarily knew that side of her. But they knew the person in the long distance walking the 5K, the 10K, the 15Ks. She's training for half marathon, the, the uh, different mountain climbs and hikes, and, of course, the dragon boating, uh, where she really threw heart and soul into that. And to think, uh, I mean, just a year ago, your mother was hiking, paddling. And uh, so for all of us, it's been distressing how her health deteriorated last year. But she beat the odds. Back in 2010, June 2010, when we sat in for the first meeting of this oncologist over the diagnosis, they said at that time, you will be lucky if you've got five more years. So the oncologists were predicting uh, a sort of maximum of five years from 2010. So your mother really was a survivor and a fighter. She was. She really was. And even until her very last breath, she she would fight. She had a, a real sense of um, strength to her. For every moment of her life and I like to think that cancer didn't beat her but rather God chose to rescue her at the perfect time in his perfect timing and said it is it is done you are ready to come home to be with me and um, for all of those who knew my mom knew that she was not one to surrender and I, I believe that she never surrendered, except for surrendering mm. her life to Christ. She really did. Mm. And she had such a sense of peace um, up to the very end that um, she knew where she was going. She was just heart sore for the family and the loved one she was leaving behind. She wanted to make sure all of us were taken care of, but she did more than her job. And she took mm. great care of us. And we were blessed to be able to take care of her to the end in our own home without any full-time nurses and staff. That's just incredible we had palliative care team but we were the ones there and dad certainly lived up to every last one of his vows to her up until the very end and um, not many families can say that they have that opportunity so well um, your mother was adamant she said I want to die at home amongst my family amongst those who love me she did not want to be in a hospital especially during this time of lockdown lunacy where people have been prevented from visiting their relatives and their elders and their parents while they've been dying. And the amount of people we know, even our mission, who weren't allowed to see their uh, father or mother as they were dying uh, in the last year and a half uh, during this insane time of lockdown lunacy. Uh, so uh, your mother knew what would happen if she was in the hospital. We wouldn't have been able to visit her. And uh, that, that just wouldn't have been right. So, yes, although there wasn't one medically trained person amongst us, aside from paramedical first aid, uh, we just had to learn on the job. And I don't know how we did it because uh, it's beyond our capabilities, but it's the Lord's grace. Mm-hmm. 
And so your mom's final weeks and months were with her family who loved her. And that is a real blessing. And right back in 2010, the first uh, reaction after the shock news that, you know, you've got a few years to live and you're going to die of cancer soon uh, from the oncologist, your mother said to me really intently, I want to live long enough to see my grandchildren. And she did. Yeah, and she lived to see three of her grandchildren, three sons. So, And, yeah, I just think it's it's amazing just um, her life and her passion, her zeal. I mean, as long as I've known your mom, 11 years, she's been battling this. And she's always, mm-hmm. I think anyone who knows her, you know, she's just full of life, full of mm-hmm. passion, full of energy, full of fresh perspective. <laughs> she's spunky. She has something to say that you're not expecting. And yeah, it's just, I think that really defines her. But what are some, maybe you could share some fun memories or stories you have of your mom, you, Andrea, or Peter. Do you want to share a couple stories you have? Do you have any off the top of your head? No. <laughs> Put you on the spot too much. Well, no. um, I, I should say that Lenora was born to ski. That's what her father mm. said. That uh, apparently when she was just a little one, they put skis in her and pushed out the front door and she skied down the slope, uh, sloping road to the kindergarten in Griskemine. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she couldn't have even been six by then. Mm-hmm. And uh, skiing was a school sport in Austria. Mm-hmm. And they would take days to go skiing. And so uh, your mom loved skiing so much, but she said uh, that that was the biggest thing she had to give up coming to Africa was giving up skiing, which is why she... Uh, determined that every one of her children will get an alpine sport, which in Cape Town you only have one option, that's ice skating. (laughs) And you made a whole lot of friends there because when you go ice skating during the weekday, who else is ice skating? Homeschoolers. Homeschoolers. (laughs) Only. I mean, everyone else is sentenced to 12 years um, uh, in a government indoctrination gulag. So uh, the home-educated children were able to meet other home-educated children by doing something wild like going ice skating. On one of those... Unlikely days. We were both side, both kids on in both families. We were thinking, we don't want to be here. Just a bunch of nerds, and there's hardly anyone here. But then we met this incredible family, the Rices, and I hope it's okay. I'm saying they're also missionary here. family. Also missionaries. They also had four kids. The dads got along. The moms got along. The kids got along. All around the same ages. It was incredible timing, and they have been very dear friends ever since for yes. most of my life. We've been involved in all sorts of ministry. Uh, their dads ministered at our meetings and camps. I've ministered in his church, and we've we've done so many different projects together. And goodness me, I mean the marriages, the ages, the children all come roughly the same time. Them. It's, when we're on their side great. of the world, we still get to stay with them and they still host us and we see them when they come down here and it's just... And, and this is the sort of thing where uh, people would say, but what about socialization? What about sports? Uh, how we can you, no problem if you, with that. If you home educate children, they're not going to have any friends, they're not going to get any mm. sports opportunities. Well, that wasn't a problem in our family because your mother seemed to specialize in extramural activities. I think that's the key in homeschooling. It's not just about the education and the books. It's about the extracurriculars. And mom no. always made sure that we were plugged into different um, aspects, whether it was mm. Irish dancing, tennis, kickboxing, ice skating, Piano lessons, voice lessons, guitar. Girl guides, piano, uh, guitar, and even uh, the Royal Academy of Music exams. Yes. And yeah, we did exams too. My head spun at the, at the 
amount of things on the go. And your mother's just driving all over the place, every corner of the peninsula. And, uh, you know, at school, I don't remember any extramural activities. Uh, And, uh, you know, with us, it was just extraordinary. I thought, and they get to do schoolwork as well. I mean, that's just amazing. We were able to use our time much better that way. And to think the amount of friends all of all four of you managed to accumulate despite uh, being in home education where you're not meant to have any friends at all and then how you've all excelled in different types of sports mm. uh, especially uh, Daniela and ice skating and Christopher and karate uh, both of which got national colors represented us overseas and Calvin, and Calvin goodness me well he seemed to be uh, your mom's prime target for uh, her phys ed training they so were kindred spirits in that area and your mom didn't give him a break. It was continually, you can do more, you can go harder, you can go faster, you can cut off more time in this. And She specialized in gentle and loving but appropriate criticism, very constructive. She always knew yeah. how to encourage us in the right moments and spur us on too. Well, I remember at one time being asked, who's your best teacher? And as our minds were thinking, the person said, if you've been army, you'll say you're Sergeant Major. And I thought, that's true. And then he went further and said, because your best teacher is not the one who accepts your first effort, but the one who pushes you to do more than you thought you were capable of doing. Mm. And that certainly can be said of your mom. She was a not just a good, she was a great teacher because she didn't just build you all up. She made, she stretched you. She pushed you and me. Um, I mean, she pushed all of us that, that mm. she saw because you knew we can all climb higher, go further, uh, do more and uh, achieve better than we ever thought possible and and she did uh, in, in her own life and you could see what she did with the dragon boating community when she's in it and she was chairman for several years and their spokesperson and how she really innovated and advanced things and on every level wherever your mom got involved especially in this last two years in the building projects that are missioned expansion where to think that your mom got her whole inheritance from her parents, she put it entirely into this mission, into developing the building project, our attic conversion, building the upper uh, room to honor her parents. It was actually their life savings money, the sale of the house that made it possible, and then adding more dormitories, guest room, this recording studio that we're in right now, and a whole lot more. Hospitality was a big part of her calling and this conversion and um, renovation really enabled that hospitality. We've been able to house so many more people just Mm -hmm. in the last year since construction finished. So I should should give an anecdote here where uh, when Lenora first joined our mission, went to our first frontline camp. Now, we'd been holding camp since 1982. And uh, so we get to the camp and your mom says, who's doing the catering? And I'm saying, catering? Haven't you thought of catering? Well, we'll manage. How? I, now, you, you, your mom had, of course, worked in uh, Bible College in Austria on staff and had dealt with catering, so she knew how to cater for quantities of people. And she just took it upon herself at this first camp. Now, nobody – in the past, I suppose, we just opened some bully beef tins and passed around some provisas, um, but we didn't exactly have a plan. Mm. We Well, we, we had our training plan. We had our PT plan. We had our – Lecture notes printed out and things but like that. But food was an afterthought. But food was an afterthought uh, and barely that. 
And your mom changed that, of course. And suddenly Frontline became known for great meals and good catering and all sorts of hospitality. But that, that was your mom. When she joined us, we didn't have an admin base. We didn't have a filing system. We didn't have a record system. Uh, there were just a bunch of people going into the field and some motorbikes. And uh, so uh, Frontline as a mission, uh, some people think I've developed it. Well, I didn't develop the admin. Uh, that that your mom set up all that. And if people like the good food at our camps, they can totally thank mm -hmm. Laura Hammond mm -hmm. because that wasn't on my agenda at all. Mm -mm. No, and like you said, when she uh, endeavored anything, she always went in 100%. And with the paddling community, she, I believe, was recruited by a Reach for Recovery, which is an organization that really encourages those who've um, battled breast cancer. They visit you in the hospitals and... So, of course, mom immediately got involved as soon as she was healthy enough to do so, gets recruited into the dragon boating community, the Amabella Bells is our team, and immediately she starts recruiting people through Reach for Recovery. Come, you must come. Once you're better, once you're healthier, please, once you're able, come to the boat. And so many people have been recruited to the team through mom. And, of course, it's a whole team. It's not just her, but she has absolutely made her mark in the dragon boating community, not just in Cape Town, but internationally. We've been getting messages from around the world, people who got to paddle with her in Spain, Italy, Florence. Not Vienna. Florence. Yes, and also, sorry, Florida, not Florence, although she did paddle in Florence, Italy as well. And they just were touched by her. In the short amount of time they knew her, they knew that she was just so full of life, so full of love, and so incredibly kind, and just had such a fighting spirit in her. So... In, in this dragon boating community alone, she's made a huge impact. Yes, and then in the hiking community, and there's uh, trails that uh, she's done. A good friend, Jan, uh, who she recruited into uh, dragon boating as well. And Lenora wasn't just satisfied to paddle. I mean, she very quickly became stroke, uh, setting the pace up front. But she trained to be a helm, and being a helm is not easy. That's the person standing up at the back and steering and to keep standing while everyone's plowing ahead uh, in a race and you accelerate. You not, incredible balance to not fall that. off. And focus. Uh, yes, exactly. And and she managed to do that and it was absolutely extraordinary and her friend Jan also learned to helm yeah, and, and, a month. <laughs> and she, she really just uh, got the people involved in what needed to be done and I could just see so many different innovations. We've got a uh, amazing amount of magazines and newspaper cuttings where uh, she was the spokesperson mobilizing support and awareness and um, especially Octobers and uh, getting on TV and radio as well, uh, promoting the whole course. So Lenora took um, her battle with cancer as a call to a new mission field and ministry. She really did. And she knew how much of a difference being a part of this breast cancer survivor paddling team or a dragon boat team made on her recovery. She suddenly found herself in a new category of people. She didn't know many people who were breast cancer survivors. So being a part of this group gave her a new sense of identity and renewed purpose in this new chapter in her life. And she was able to encourage other people who were going through the same fight as well. So I believe that the exercise, but also the community really um, gave her such a sense of fulfillment in a time that seemed so uncertain mm. and of course we know that she found her comfort in Christ alone but the community was also very helpful um, and very practical and of course she got everyone she knew and loved involved as much as possible I'm officially a member of the Bells team too since we've moved back since Sunshine I moved to Cape Town back in 2018 and I even started paddling back in 2011 when 
before Hunter and I got engaged, while we were engaged, all the way up until our wedding, and uh, we went back to the U.S. So every time I visited Cape Town in the eight-odd years I've been living there, I was always paddling, and it was just such a privilege to be able to be on the boat. It's a very difficult sport, but it's very rewarding too. Lots of adrenaline, lots of endorphins, and that's always a good thing. So um, I know all of us in this family have been a part of different teams at different times, and Christopher's part of the other paddling team, Majaji, one that mom also often paddled and helmed for. And yeah, I know that this is a community that she left an impact on, and it won't be the same without her. No, and as she often said, especially on the radio programs, we're all in the same boat. And mm -hmm. I must say, your mom made, uh, got me recruited into paddling, and I, mm -hmm. uh, I think it's the first team sport I ever did in my life. Um, <laughs> because I, I did very individual sports always, everything from chess, debating, history, society, tennis, <laughs> uh, swimming. But I was, I was never really part of a team. And even the army, I chose long distance running as my primary uh, sport. So it was, you know, again, the loner sport. Mm -hmm. And uh, But in dragon boating, you've got to work as a team. You've got to work in concert. You've got to get the same rhythm. And uh, uh, I went down there so many times on Saturdays. I was actually part of quite a few of the races as well. Mm -hmm. And many times the only male paddling in the boat. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, it's a great exercise, great community. And I did it uh, at first just to be a support to Lenora. But uh, as time went on, grew to like it too. Mm -hmm. It's 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 a well to be recommended sport great upper body strength uh excellent workout and um healthy but also what a privilege to be able to paddle in such a beautiful city uh, you've got the seals around and the cormorants and mm. it's just such a uh, an atmosphere down there at the waterfront and it made saturday mornings great and of course many tuesday evenings as well or thursdays that they'd, they'd get out and do paddling as well mm. i think it'd be nice to just talk about maybe you could share the story peter of how you and Lenora met. Um, I think it's always good to hear those stories of how, how <laughs> the Lord brought you two together. I mean, for many people listening to this, you know, Lenora maybe from paddling or something else, but why did she actually come to Africa? Well, she actually came as a missionary, and that's yes. why she wanted to come. So maybe you could share a bit more of that story with the listeners. Yes, yeah, so I had hosted Reverend Bill and Harriet Bathman, her parents, uh, on, on a speaking tour in Cape Town, organized a whole lot of speaking engagements, and and... In talking to them, I learned that they had a beautiful, single, young, unmarried missionary daughter. Um, <laughs> How can I marry into this family? <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, a few cogwheels started to move. But uh, then I had, uh, uh, on my first mission to America back in January 1988, I stayed with General Ben Parton, who's United States Air Force scientist. He's the man who pioneered everything from precision-guarded weapons, lasers, um, cruise missiles, the whole lot. And uh, he turned to me at one point and he said, do you know that Bill Bathman, his good friend, is taking his beautiful single young missionary daughter who's raised in Austria uh, on a visit to South Africa right now? He said, you two have a lot in common. You need to link up and get together. Yeah. And uh, cogwheels start to move even more. And I started to think I could miss her. Here I am in America the first time, and she's in South Africa for the first time. And in fact, we only coincided very, very tightly. I was coming back, and she'd already left Cape Town, mm. tracked her down in Swakopmund in Southwest Africa, phoned and said, uh, how much time do you still have in the country? Just a few days. 
can you meet me in Kimberley? Actually wasn't a problem because she had the old South African Airways open ticket. You could fly right. anywhere within South Africa on SA. Okay. And of course, Southwest Africa was part of South Africa back in the 80s. So this is 1988. And I had a missions conference in Kimberley. See you there in two days. And uh, I was packing till midnight and got quick two hours sleep between midnight and two. And then I had a thousand kilometers to drive on my own and headed off from 2 a.m. to get to the airport in time for 12 noon to meet Lenora Bathman as she came off the plane from Swakopmund. And my first words to her, as she reminded me many a time, was no time for formalities. Uh, we have a missions conference set up. And, uh, but we were busy for the next 12 hours. I mean, that was 12 noon till 12 midnight. We were talking constantly as we were setting up mm. display everything we did in the missions conference meetings. And, and uh, we just lost track of time. And I got mm. it to her people that she's staying with, her host. After midnight, every light off, pitch dark. <laughs> Knew that we'd really uh, committed a faux pas. But it never clicked with anyone like this before. Uh, politically, spiritually, intellectually, on every level, it was just mm. like... Uh, a connectivity, and it didn't take long. In the next few days, I put an application for Frontline Fellowship in front of her, challenged her to join a mission, which she cheerfully did. And under the question, why do you want to join Frontline Fellowship, she wrote, to fight communism. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I was impressed with the whole attitude. And she went back, she sold her car to pay off her college debt so she could get out to South Africa. And she came and set up a whole mission base in a barn, a leaky barn with a Rain came down the insides mm. of the walls, and um, everything from the card index files. She pioneered the whole admin system and really started to tame the mission because all of us were ex-army, even the girls, uh, in, in in that time. And uh, Lenora was the one genteel, civilizing influence from outside who uh, tried to get us uh, um, more, not just well organized, but uh, to get some of the rough edges off because mm. I think we, yeah. If people think I'm bad now, they should have seen me before Nora got hold of me. <laughs> yeah, and so that's a pretty amazing story. So many of you who know Lenora, you may think, oh, she just lived in Cape Town because it's a beautiful city. But no, she came here because she really felt the Lord's calling on her life to come here. It's amazing how the Lord just orchestrated your paths to cross through these different connections and everything. Mm. I might say that when Lenora got here, the first year she attended every week, Afrikaans classes in the Krutekerk, uh, downtown Cape Town, and, uh, you know, past exams, well, uh, she is committed. I mean, as she arrived, she determined to learn Afrikaans, which having German behind her already, mm. well, it's closer. So she um, she managed to understand Afrikaans very quickly and adapted into it. It just shows the kind of commitment, which is also why that mm. journalist is saying, you know, Lenora Hammond, who claims to be an American citizen, but who speaks with a distinctly South African <laughs> accent. They just didn't understand how adaptable a missionary can be. Mm. So was that 1988 then? When you That's met? 1988. Okay. And then you got married a year later. 25th of March, 1989. Now, 1989 was the most incredible year imaginable for so many different reasons. Not and to mention that I was born that year. No. <laughs> well, uh, I, I tell you, um, you, you, would, you would be... Um, hard-pressed to find a more dramatic year. Hmm. Uh, 1989 is the year that the Berlin Wall came down, the hmm. Iron Curtain collapsed. Uh, communist dictators all over Eastern Europe toppled the most spectacularly in Romania, Ceausescu hmm. being wiped out on Christmas Day by his own army, uh, 25th of December 1989. Well, uh, many people may um, find this surprising, but um, straight after we got married, 
Lenore and I were joining her parents for Bible smuggling behind the Iron Curtain to Eastern <laughs> Europe. And let me tell you, to try and keep up with Bill Batham is difficult. So we had two cars. Uh, he's in the lead car, of course. And I would be going 260, and Lenore would be saying, Faster, faster, you're losing. Oh, my word. <laughs> my dad. And like, I'm going 260 k's now. There's no speed limit in Autobahn. Keep going. And uh, uh, oh. I remember getting up to 320 at some point, And would you believe it? A Porsche came straight past me. Oh, my like, word. Yow, where did that guy come from? And uh, I was stopping a wimp. Uh, go faster. And uh, uh, unbelievable. I mean, flying faster than planes could fly in the First World War. And uh, a German Autobahn trying to keep up with Bill Batten. Nerve I'm surprised wrecking. she let you drive. What was she thinking? I don't know. She should have driven. <laughs> it's true because she's a much better driver than me. <laughs> she always had an opinion about your driving, too. Oh, my. Yes. <laughs> Every uh, Bathman does. The, the, the Bathmans are very good drivers, but they're awful backseat drivers. Yes. The worst. Uh, yes, because uh, – and the fact is I'm a good, competent motorbike rider, but I'm only mediocre as far as cars go because uh, to me, a car's transport. To a Bathman, it's an art form. And so they took their cars so much more seriously. And motorbikes were still my main form of transport at that stage. And uh, I, I could really – uh, be in control on a bike at high speed, but in a car. To keep up with Bill Bathman at the best of times is quite a mission. And that was, but the experience, smuggling to Eastern Europe, I saw meekly Lenora's a natural at uh, outwitting border guards and being able to uh, get through and her befriending other people. And the people in Eastern Europe loved her. And so I saw the Bathmans at their very, very best in Eastern mm. Europe. And you've got to go behind the Iron Curtain in those times to see also the Persky Church at its best the hospitality, the courage, so many things. So that was quite an... But 1989, it came at the end of the incredible battles that we'd been having up in Angola in 1988, Ops Super, Modular, uh, Packer, massive conventional battles, this whole graveyards of Soviet tanks and armored cars scattered around Angola. And I could take you to places in the Lomba River where there's hundreds of Soviet tanks and armored cars destroyed in this one area uh, in the ba last battles of the Cold War hot part of the Cold War. And so uh, it was exhilarating. We had beaten the communists. We had beaten the Soviets, the Cubans. They're fleeing from Angola. We had won the Cold War. Uh, Ronald Reagan had won the Cold War. Uh, the West had won. The Soviets had lost. They were in retreat. The Berlin Wall collapsed. Iron Curtain collapsed. Same year we get married. And it's just what a year. Mm. And at the end of the year, um, I get captured in Mozambique and imprisoned. And Lenora's the only one back home who's organizing the whole... Uh, campaign to uh, bring about our release. She was the only person in, in the office. I mean, I was, I was leading a team of nine of us in mm. Mozambique. And uh, she was back here and she was the only person who could coordinate the, the whole um, relief and prayer and pressure campaign to get us out. So, and then when we when I came out of prison Mozambique in 87, by, the, by 89, by grace of God, finally, even uh, the Berlin Wall collapses uh, 9th of November, mm. And uh, and then Ceausescu's overthrown in December. It was just like, what a year. Mm. And people who didn't live through it can't really imagine, but it was like the, the greatest event of our lifetime was the end of the Cold War and the collapse of the Iron Curtain, the falling down of Berlin Wall. All of, all of that was mm. um, just, it's the kind of experience you could not imagine unless you've gone through it. So it was the most exhilarating year in every which way. Mm. And... Uh, uh, I might also add that because I was uh, convinced we were living in the last days early on as a Christian, I had a bit of a hostility to having children. So I didn't want to uh, have children. Um, I wasn't even interested in getting married before meeting Lenora. Uh, and so when I got married, I said, you know, but no children. 
And, uh, well, God settled that within six months. Uh, <laughs> uh, been captured in Mozambique, having people sticking AKs in my head, you know, you will die. I just realized the selfishness and short-sightedness that uh, I'm about to die here. And uh, because of my short-sightedness and lack of vision and thoughtlessness, um, Lenora is not even going to have a child. There's no no mm-hmm. uh, future. And, you know, I was, I was praying to the Lord and, Lord, you let me out of here and um, I, I will have children. I'll be a father. And, mm-hmm. uh, well, um, live, standing here is living proof of the <laughs> results of that uh, encounter by God. But you can just imagine 1989 was the most incredible year of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then I know... With all the risk you took, you said you'd never expected that you would outlive Lenora. You certainly thought you'd be the one uh, to go to see the Lord first. And yet, uh, in the Lord's perfect timing, he, he took Lenora home first. And I'm sure you didn't know, what, 32 years later that uh, you'd be saying goodbye to your wife. But I think one thing that Lenora wanted more than anything was that her friends who don't know the Lord would actually come to know the Lord. And that really was a big burden on her heart. I mean, she really had a heart for the Lord, a heart for the lost, a heart for ministry, a heart for missions. And so if you are someone who's listening to this tonight, realize that Lenora is not only this incredible woman that's done all these amazing things, but there's a reason why, and that's because of Christ and what he's done in her life. And um, we really hope that those of you who don't know the Lord would realize, take this opportunity to really think about that you too one day are going to face a day of judgment, that you will die and you'll stand before God. And are you in a right relationship with God? And that's only through Christ that you can have that assurance. As Jesus said um, in John 11, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And that's the assurance we have with Lenora. She is with Christ because she's trusted in him because Christ is the resurrection and the life. And so we do hope for those of you who listen that you'd really think about where you're going to spend eternity. Um, for those of you who know her, um, if you don't know Christ, uh, you won't see her again. Uh, you have no hope of seeing her again. This, this life was all we had, but for those of us who are in Christ, we know that we'll see her again. We have that rock solid assurance that because Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead, we have hope in Christ. She may be dead in this life, but she's now truly alive in Christ. And that truly is the hope we have. Wow, she she is healed. <laughs> we prayed for her healing and we wanted healing to come in this life. And God answered that prayer in a different way than we expected. He brought her home into his kingdom. And now she knows life like none of us have ever experienced life before. And so we really hope that just her life would really touch many of your lives as you hear about many little snip snippets and snapshots of her life that it would really just be an impact on, on your life for those of you listening. I, sh- I should say that on a number of occasions, especially dealing with medical people, Lenora would make comments like, I'm not afraid to die. I know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important to know that this is somebody who wasn't just a missionary's daughter who's a missionary herself, uh, but she knew where she was going. She, she is a friend of the persecuted church. She saw the people in Eastern Europe who had suffered much, like Richard and Sabina von Braun particularly, and she understood what's involved. And the question actually isn't um, when we will bow to Christ. I mean, every knee will bow to Christ. The question is when will we bow to Christ? Mm. Uh, today in the Day of Grace, when the gates to heaven are wide open, mm. uh, when forgiveness is freely available, or on the Day of Judgment. But mm. Everyone will bow to Christ. And so the question uh, is not, uh, will you 
but when will you? Mm. And uh, the other thing that I, I think that's so important is many people think of this as we're in the land of the living and uh, mm. those who depart are in the land of the dying. Actually, it's the other way around. Mm. We're in the land of the dying. Everyone in the world is going to die. As Bill Batten said, you know, uh, there's one thing sure about this life and it's no one gets out of it alive. Mm. And uh, that's true. In fact, heaven is the land of the living. Mm. Earth is the land of the dying. Mm. And uh, the amount of people who die every year is actually quite colossal when you think about it. At one point, I was saying to Nora uh, what someone had said to me, like, why uh, should Lenora uh, suffer like this? You know, why do bad things happen to good people? And Lenora's response at the time was, why not me? She says, mm. I'm not special. Why should suffering come to others and not mm. to me? I said, uh, it's, it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. And at any rate, she's also part of the human race, also suffers mm. like we all do. Uh, all of the suffering and death that we have around us, it's a result of the curse of the fall because mm. of Adam and Eve's initial rebellion to God, which all of us have partaken in as well personally. It's not just like we would have done it right and Adam and Eve mm. botched yeah. it up. I mean, let's <laughs> face it, um, we've all sinned enough. Uh, we, we don't need Adam and Eve's sin uh, mm. to condemn us because we've, we've committed our own sins. Mm. But Lenora didn't complain. I think that's something most people mm. would be surprised yeah, by. Absolutely. She didn't complain. And I believe that a strong faith uh, gives you great backbone for hard times. And we've seen it amongst the persecuted church. We've seen it amongst Lenora's friends in Eastern Europe. But that's the thing. Do you have a strong faith? And, and the picture that Jesus gave is there's two types of people. There's the wise and the foolish. And the wise builds a house on a rock, and the foolish builds a house on the sand. And you may look and say, well, what's the difference? They've both got a house. But mm. one day the storm will rage, and the winds will blow, and the rain will fall, and the floods will rise, and the house built on the sand will collapse. Mm. But the house that's built on the rock will stand. And I think we can see in Lenora's life, her house stood firm. Her faith stood firm mm. because she is built on the rock mm. of God's word. And her faith in God and her sovereignty and her reading of the scriptures, which she kept up to the very last days, um, that's what kept her stable. But other people, if, if you're building a life on the sand of humanism, mm. feelings, fame, fortune, whatever, uh, that's going to fail. That's mm. the health. That, those, those things will fail. So the question is, on what foundation are you building your life? And where's your faith? And where's your hope? And um, I think that's so important just to ask, am I being wise or foolish? Am I on the broad way to destruction, the narrow way to life? Am I bearing good fruit or bad fruit? Is the fruit of the spirit in my life or the fruit of the flesh? Mm. Uh, am, I, uh, am I a child of God? We're mm. all creatures of God, but have I been born again uh, by the grace of God, by the power of his Holy Spirit? Because this is the thing. Every one of us will stand before God. We have mm. an appointment. It's appointed unto man once to die and after to face the judgment. So we, we know that we will have an appointment with God and one day we'll give an account of our lives. And we will not be able to stand on our own. But if we're standing by the grace of God through the blood of Christ as people who've been redeemed by God, we have a faith, we have an anchor, we have a firm and secure foundation. And I think that's what you can see with Nora. We all will die, but I don't know how many will die as well mm. with such a solid foundation. But it's the result of decisions made throughout one's life. And you see the counter effect. Mm. Amen. And we hope that this and Lenora's life really touches your life as you think about um, your own day that you will stand before God. Uh, you too will find a day that 
you too will come to breathe your last breath and be put in the ground too. But where is your trust? Where is your hope? Where is your confidence? And we hope that you put your confidence in Christ, that you turn away from your sin and trust in him. If you'd like to get more information about joining some of the upcoming events, where can people find information? Yes. So if vis- if people visit FrontlineMissionSA.org, on FrontlineMissionSA.org website, we have got a in-memoriam <coughs> site. And on our homepage, we've got Lenora Hammond has fought to last battle with pain. And that's initial tribute that I, I've put out. So you can see that article with pictures on the Frontline missionsa.org website. We've also got on the events page the upcoming. So this coming Thursday, the 18th of of November, the memorial service will be held in the upper room, which which Lenora expressly requests. She expressly requests that we have a memorial service in the upper room, the Bathroom Memorial Hall, which mm. um, by God's grace she was able to uh, build in memory of her parents. And uh, that will be this coming Thursday, 6.34.7. And then on Saturday, the Dragon Boating community are planning a flower ceremony uh, in Tape Bay Harbor, about 8.30 on. And then on Monday is the funeral. So Monday, the 22nd of November, at the beautiful Dutch Form Church in Frontchurch, we will be having the, the funeral service at 2 p.m. So 2 p.m. on Monday, the 22nd. 22nd. And... If you go onto frontlinemissionsa.org website, you'll get both those details and the upcoming events, and you'll also see an article that's been written with some pictures in in memory of Laura. I might say we will try. Of course, technical things don't always work the way you want. We are going to try to live stream the Thursday night Reformation Society um, memorial service, and that'll be live streamed on the Reformation 500 Facebook page. And also wear pink. If you have anything pink, it doesn't have to be all pink, but just a touch of pink would be fine. Mom wanted this to be a celebration of her life, not just mourning. Um, so if you plan on attending any of the events, or even if you plan on streaming from online or watching the service later, wear some pink in honor of my mom. And if you're a dragon boater, bring your paddle. Because um, another wish of Laura's was that we have the paddle arch, which, mm. in fact, she's walked through before when they won the um, world competition in Spain, not that long ago. And uh, so we, in fact, one of the first things that did on the 9th, on Tuesday the 9th of November when Laura passed was bring her paddles into room by the bed, add flowers, teddy bear. Um, and the thing is the paddles have been so much part of her life, just like swords are part of a soldier's life. Uh, paddles have been very much part of hers. Uh, she's paddled away to victory many a time. Mm. Uh, so... Uh, if you've got a paddle, uh, bring it and form part of the paddle on a God. Hmm. Well, we thank you so much for joining us tonight. And as we close, I just want to read this passage from Revelation 21, talking about the new heavens and new earth when God comes to restore all things and make all things right. And he said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Thank you so much for joining us. Good night, and God bless.